Aaron Ralston was uh, an avid outdoorsman. He loved mountaineering, he loved solo climbing, he loved being out in nature. On April 23, 2003, he set out for a day of hiking uh, in the narrow canyons of southeastern Utah. He wasn't planning to be gone too long, so he had a couple burritos, he had a liter of water, he had some chocolate, and he had a video camera. But he didn't bring a phone, and he didn't tell anybody where he was going. Uh, he just loved being alone in nature. And these canyons, and the Blue John Canyon, is, it's, it's a remote spot in the United States, is a beautiful place for him to just be alone in nature. Well, early on in the journey, he came across some other hikers, but as he got further out, he was alone in his element. And nobody was around him. He was just enjoying uh, his hiking around. And, and at 2.41 p.m. in the afternoon, he had made his way eight miles from his truck. And as he was exploring a deep and narrow slot canyon, he, a, a boulder that he was climbing over came loose and started tumbling down with him into this canyon. And before he could get out of the way, he was trapped. His wrist, his right wrist was trapped between the boulder and the canyon wall. He was literally between a rock and a hard place, this 800-pound rock. But it was undeniably a life and death situation because he had very little food or water. He had no warm clothes for the cold nights. He was in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew where it was told. And so as day rolled into night and this dawned on him, the reality of the situation he was in as he could not free himself, he, he realized that he's going to die in a flash flood through this narrow canyon or of dehydration before a rescue party is even thought of to be put together because nobody knew he was gone. Well, over the course of the next five days, Aaron, he tried chipping away at the rock. He yelled and screamed for help. He thought through all his options. He tried to do everything he could to stay warm and just survive. Well, eventually, he took the video camera. He didn't have anything else, but he had a video camera. He had a little battery life, and he just started chronicling his, his situation and saying thanks, expressing gratitude to his family and friends in the hopes that if he died, somebody would find the camera at some point. Well, five days of agony, no rescue, no ideas that could save him, until finally he realized he had one hope for survival. All he had with him was a dull, multi-tool camping knife. But it became his tool to freedom and survival. With all his other options dashed, he began to amputate his own arm. As horrific and excruciating as this was, he realized that his life was worth it. Long moments of pain as he cut away at his arm were to his advantage because it meant life. And it, life was worth living beyond this nightmare. This morning, our passage is not asking us to amputate our arm. If you look under your seat, you'll find a multi-tool. We're not going to do that. But we've been talking about how Jesus was with his disciples and he was telling them that he was going to go away. So as they are, they're facing this situation where Jesus is telling him he's going to leave them, he's been with them, living life with them, talking with them, teaching them, and, and he's telling him, 
he's told them that they have a new way of life and all this stuff. They loved him. They claimed that they would be willing to follow him to death. But as we've seen over the, over the last few weeks of our study of the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16, Jesus has repeated again and again, and he repeats here, I'm going away. Verse 6 says that the disciples, they're filled with grief. The word's also translated as sorrow or pain or distress. The disciples, they're hurting on them. Uh, they're hurting because it's dawning on them that Jesus really is going to leave them. And, and they genuinely don't understand what this means because to them, he, he, they grew up learning that the Messiah was this conquering hero and they've come to realize that he's the Messiah and yet he's been challenging that understanding of what the Messiah is, who he was, and now he's telling him, them that he's going to leave. And they're so full of grief and sorrow. Jesus points out in verse 5 that none of them are even asking about where he's going. And this is really strange because earlier, a couple chapters before, in chapter 13, verse 36, Peter actually asked that very question, Lord, where are you going? And then in verse, chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? They had actually asked that question. However, this was earlier on in the conversation. Peter had asked in a different context. He had, he had the follow-up question about why can't we come with you? And Thomas asked in the context of knowing why can't we come? So the, the real question when they asked where are you going was why can't we come too? In our passage, Jesus has gone further in the conversation and begun to explain that they're going to be suffering they're going to face suffering and persecution. We saw this last week when we looked at the passage before this. The disciples are going to face trial, suffering, persecution, and even death. So as the disciples, they take all this in, combined with the fact that Jesus is going away and he won't be physically present with them, they're distraught. They're so caught up in their sadness that they don't even think about where Jesus is going. They just know that they're not going to have him anymore. And so even though they seem to be interested before, they're, they're, they're just so caught up in their grief. And this is where Aaron Ralston comes in. Aaron was in pain. He was trapped. He was facing a slow and agonizing death, and he realized that the intense pain and agony of losing his own arm was for his advantage. Jesus tells the disciples that they're in pain as they are, are feeling the loss of his presence. As, as he's telling them they're going to leave, he, he, knows, he recognizes that they're in pain, but he tells them it's to their advantage. Verse 7 said, it is better for you that I go away. Some translations do say it's to your advantage. Why? Why could it, be why could it possibly be better that their leader, who was with them, who taught them, who lived life with them, who gave them so much, gave them purpose, why would it be better that he go away? Jesus says it'll be better because only when he goes will he send the advocate. This paraclete, as we looked at this word in the Greek a couple weeks ago, paraclete, this very presence of God, uh, he, he, he not only will come and dwell with the disciples, he's going to dwell in them the very way he dwells 
in Jesus. The paraclete will dwell with them and in them. He'll encourage them, uh, equip them, empower them to do all the things Jesus has been saying over the last few passages we've looked at. He will empower them to know the truth. He will give us what we need to accomplish the high calling he calls us to. He will give us peace that transcends our circumstances and that passes our understanding. He will remind his people of all that Jesus taught and to a deeper level. He will calm fears. He will testify about who Jesus is to us because we forget and we get distracted. And when suffering and pain comes, we try to find a different way. He'll testify that, no, Jesus is the better way. And while Jesus is with them, he's not going to send the paraclete. Only, go, only when he goes away will he send this, this empowering, personal, and divine presence to be with and in them. But why is this to our advantage? It's still a question. If I were with the disciples, or if I was one of the disciples sitting there listening to Jesus saying, it's to your advantage that I go away and send this thing that seems kind of vague. It sounds great, but Jesus, you're here. I can talk with you. I can hear you. Why would this be to my advantage? Uh, even now, if Jesus were to say to me, you can have the Holy Spirit or I can come and be physically in your presence, you can talk to me, I, I, I still, why is it to my advantage? I think there's two main reasons. I'll give you two reasons. First, when Jesus was talking with his disciples, he had not completed what he had come to do. God has a plan for the world. He's always had a plan for the world. His plan always involved Jesus becoming one of us to rescue us because we cannot rescue ourselves. And the rescue plan culminated in his death on the cross. In his death on the cross, he took all the pain, all the sorrow, all the sin, all the judgment that humanity deserves our shame, our guilt, our, our everything that separates us because he is holy and, and perfectly good. And even if we're mostly good, we're not completely good and so we're separated from God. He took all of that that separates us from him on the cross and he died a physical death and a spiritual death as our sins separated, us, separated him from his father in that moment of death. And in that moment, when the forces of evil thought they had victory, Jesus was fulfilling his plan. Because even though death is the end of everything for the living, it didn't hold him. He rose from the grave. He was victorious over death and anything and everything that separates us from God. And he ascended to heaven as king and then he was throned as king of everything in heaven and on earth. He had to leave his disciples to accomplish this rescue plan and to set into motion the next part of the plan, which was to send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to indwell his followers. The other reason that it was to our advantage that Jesus physically leave was that when he was physically present, he was in one place at one time, and he was accessible to the people near him, but his presence was, was located in that place and that time. And this is why 
When he went off to pray, as he often did, the disciples had to go find him. When he went across the lake, people chased after him. His presence was with his disciples and with people that were there at any given time. But when he sends the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, he's not going to be bound by any one body. He comes to be with people, but also in people. In the very way that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was walking amongst us, when Jesus goes away, he'll send the Holy Spirit to empower us. This means that God's presence is no longer localized in one place in one time. His spirit is present in each and every follower of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Instead of needing to go and find Jesus to be in the presence of God, we have his very presence inside of us. Wherever we go, wherever we are, however we feel, we have the Holy Spirit inside us. And not only that, when we stand next to someone who has the Holy Spirit, we are standing next to the presence of God. We are in the presence of God together here. The presence of God is, is all over this place. And every person who loves and follows Jesus carries his presence wherever they go into the world. We all know the power of fire living here in the Okanagan. One little spark can touch a piece of dry kindling in the forest, start a fire, and then that sparks up and all those sparks go off and set other fires. And we saw this happen on, I saw it happen out my window on Mount Law over the summer. Uh, many of you have seen it happen multiple times over summers. The Holy Spirit is the power of God inside you and me and every one of us. As we go into the world, we're like those sparks of fire. We can pass his presence on to others as we, as we share the love of Jesus with our actions and our words, as we talk about Jesus and invite people to know and follow him. When we tell people about Jesus and they decide to ask him to forgive them and they give their lives to him, then they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to them and then they go and they can be a spark that starts another sparks. It's to our advantage that Jesus went away because now we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Just like it was to Aaron's advantage to cut off his arm to save his life, Jesus says it's to our advantage that he leave so that we can gain the benefits of Jesus fulfilling his rescue plan for the world and sending us the power of the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. In verses 8 through 11, Jesus tells us more about what the Holy Spirit does when he comes. Now remember, we talked about the passage right before this last week, and in that passage, uh, Jesus has been explaining that the Holy Spirit is going to testify about Jesus so that we remember, so that we're prepared for when trial comes, we're, we're going to be reminded that the Holy Spirit will testify to us that he's worth it, that he, he, he is all that he said he was, was and, and he's going to remind us of because we're going to suffer and we're going to face persecution and we have to re -rem remember. And that helps us understand why Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. When John talks about the world, he was, he's referring to those opposed to Jesus, those who have rejected Jesus and any person or force that's against 
Jesus' plan. Anything hostile to Jesus, these are the things that cause the suffering and the persecution. So the Holy Spirit will prove to those who have rejected Jesus to anything and anyone opposed to his plan that they are wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Another way to say it is that he will expose the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment to those who misunderstand it. And he's going to do it through the church, through us, because he's our, we are the ones that he empowers and, and through who he works. And in light of all that Jesus has said about loving our enemies, about why he came to rescue the world, this proof is not like, you are wrong, it's not something that we blame or that we accuse, but it's meant to convict so that people are exposed to the truth so that they have an opportunity to accept the invitation. That's what, that's what he means by he's going to prove because he wants to prove that you can join too. And so people, they're given the opportunity to accept, and if they accept, they're invited. If they reject, well, then they are condemned. But the, the point isn't to prove in the fact that you're wrong, I'm right. It's prove that you should have this too. So let's reflect a little bit about what this means. I don't know about you, but when I think about the Holy Spirit, when I've thought about the Holy Spirit, I, I tend to, it, it tends to be vague. Yes, I know he's inside of me. I know he's sealing me for eternal life. I know that he's transforming me. It seems to be taking so long. I'm wondering if it's really working often, but I know that he's doing stuff. He's growing me. I, I, I believe it. Sometimes I feel it, but it's very centered on me. As we work through these passages about what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit, we're seeing that he is about so much more than that. Yes, he cares about me, desperately loves me, but he's obsessed with Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. He wants to make him known to you and to me and to everyone because he's so amazing. And he's calling me and you and all of us to a higher calling than we could possibly handle. We are his agents through which he is working in the world. But he doesn't make that calling easier for us. He empowers us for it. He gives us what we need for it. He cares about the future of the entire world, and he invites you and me and all of us who know Jesus to be his agents for accomplishing his plan. He gives us his very presence, which enables us, encourages us, reminds us, testifies to us, empowers us to testify to the world. And he proves to the world through us what the truth is. So what is the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment? That's what verses 9 through 11 are about. Verse 9 tells us about sin because people do not believe in me. The truth about sin is that it's a refusal to believe. When people refuse to believe Jesus, they, they're choosing to reject him and in effect choosing another God. And often that God is themselves. Leon Morris is a, a New Testament scholar and he wrote in his commentary about uh, this verse that this is what he says. The basic sin is the sin that puts self at the center of things and consequently refuses to believe. Let me read that again. The basic sin is the sin that puts 
self at the center of things, and consequently refuses to believe. The Holy Spirit proves to the world that they're wrong about sin, the sin of unbelief. Verse 10 is about righteousness. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Those who opposed Jesus thought they were right. They, those who killed him thought they were doing the right thing and they thought they proved it when he hung there and died on the cross and didn't do anything. But Jesus proved that he was the one who was right when he rose from the dead. And the fact that he cannot be seen is not because he's in the grave, but because he's ascended with the Father. The Holy Spirit proved the world to be wrong about righteousness. And verse 11 says that the Holy Spirit proves the world to be wrong about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. The world, those who opposed to Jesus, they judged and condemned Jesus to death. But Jesus proved in his resurrection and his ascension to heaven as the true king that the prince of the world is the one who is actually judged and stand condemned. And those who oppose Jesus align themselves with the prince of the world who's condemned because they're both opposing Jesus. So the Holy Spirit proves the world to be wrong about judgment. And in the midst of all this convicting and proving to the world the Holy Spirit is showing not only the world, but also us, his followers, that to oppose Jesus is to be on the wrong side. No matter what we face at the hands of the hostile world, Jesus is better. The way of Jesus is better. It's meaningful, it's worth something, it's going somewhere. He is the truth. The Holy Spirit proves the truth, and the prince of the world and anybody who takes his side are condemned. If you're here this morning and don't know if you have the very presence of God inside of you, this empowering Holy Spirit, this paraclete who encourages and empowers and equips, if you'd like to know Jesus as the Holy Spirit testifies to him, to you about him, teaches about him, and reminds you of all that he's done, if you, if you would like to be part of his amazing rescue plan for the world, something that's so much bigger than all of us, I want to invite you to admit to yourself that you need Jesus and admit to God that you need Jesus. We need to recognize our need and then ask him to forgive you and ask him to take your life, take control of your life, give him control of your life and he will rescue you. He will forgive you of anything that separates you from him and he will send the Holy Spirit to empower you. You will join God's family and you'll be empowered to do all the things. This paraclete, the Holy Spirit, says what Jesus says he will do with his presence inside you. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you and, and, and to have control of your life, I want you to ponder all these things we're learning about the Holy Spirit from these passages. Reread John 14 through 16 all that you have because you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more and more of Jesus and his plans to you. And ask him to have the perspective that he wants you to have about Jesus and about his kingdom. Let's pray.
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our three-in-one God, we praise you because you from eternity had a rescue plan for us. You created us with the choice to obey you or not, and we chose not to, and you always had in mind to rescue us. And your plan is beautiful and amazing and so much bigger than we can recognize or understand. And you invite us to greatness. You invite us to be a part of that rescue plan, to point people to Jesus because he is king and he is our savior. And he wants us to know you, the Father, and you give us the Holy Spirit to bring these truths alive in us. Oh God, help us to really understand more and more what it means to know Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit, to be able to talk to the Father because of all that Jesus did. We love you. We want to love you more. And we really want to know Jesus and love him the way the Holy Spirit does. Empower us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.